welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 173. I remember being excited uh, when my father-in-law told me that he had an old set of climbing spurs that Kate's grandfather owned. Kate's grandfather was a lineman, and Kate's dad, whenever he first started hunting, <laughs> without a lineman's belt, without safety harness or anything, he'd just throw on these climbing spurs, climb up a tree to the first limb and stand on it and shoot deer that way. Um, so I got these climbing spurs. I decided I was going to be a bit safer, and I would use these things to get up into a, a tree put my ring of steps on, climb up, and get saddled in and, and be good to go. But I do remember after a few uh, months of using these, uh, there were some issues that I would have, especially on the descent. I'd come down, and I remember this one time, I was coming down this tree in the dark after an evening hunt, and I'm making my way down, and all of a sudden, my right foot, the gaff in the tree, I gaff out. It comes out, and I am hanging by one leg. Um, now, fortunately, I have my lineman's belt on. But I remember thinking to myself in that moment, oh goodness, I hope the other one doesn't go. Because even though I have a lineman's belt on, this is going to be a painful and unpleasant experience. <laughs> My lineman's belt was a little bit loose. I didn't know how long it would take to catch. And I thought, man, that's that could be a bad situation. Today's guest had an even worse situation than that. Jim Nelson comes on and he tells some great, hilarious, funny stories about a duck hunt and some other things, his first deer but kind of right in the middle of this interview, we get into a story about him using his saddle and sticks to get up to a spot in a tree. But before he can get saddled in, um, he's connected by a lineman's belt and things go sideways on him. And I'll just leave it there and Jim will tell the rest of the story. But this story is a harrowing story of how Jim almost lost his life a week and a half ago. Um, a few things that he did during this in the grace of God, <laughs> I think enabled Jim to be on my podcast today to tell this. And I want you to listen to it. It doesn't matter if you're a saddle hunter, doesn't matter if you're a tree stand hunter, a ladder stand hunter, our safety and getting back to our families is first and foremost. And so Jim does a great job unpacking that a lot of other fun stories along the way. So it's not all like serious, but I do want you to listen to this. Uh, I think there's some lessons to learn there. Guys, I want to thank you so much for coming back for another episode. If you'd like to come on the show, just want to extend the invite, sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Send me that email. Love to hear your stories as well. And here we go. We're going to jump in. Here's Jim Nelson from Iowa. All right, guys, joining me from Iowa is Jim Nelson. Jim, how are you, man? Good. How are you doing? Oh, doing great. Uh, just got permission to hunt the property that I shot my buck on next year. So I'm, I'm about as tickled as a hunter could be right now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good place when you can start planning ahead already. Yeah, well, it's a weird position. I, I did not usually tagged out this this early. My buddy's like, you need to get out and start planning for next year. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I need to. So got that done. What are you into today? Well, I took the day off. I was going to do a little deer hunting, try to catch the rut, and uh, had a little mishap over the weekend. Last weekend, I'll talk about later, but didn't necessarily feel up to going out hunting today. So I've got some buddies coming down uh, tomorrow. We're going to do three days of pheasant hunting. A uh, group of veterans and myself are going to get together and go chase some roosters. So, Oh, man. That'd be awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun with some buddies there. Yeah, no, it'll be a good time. Looking forward to it. Jim, tell us a little bit about what you do. Give us a little bit of like an introduction, uh, your background there in Iowa. Uh, let us know who you are. Yep, sounds good. Uh, so I'm from Iowa, born and raised, central Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area. Um, 
didn't really get into hunting a lot as a kid. You know, some of my fondest memories were getting out with my dad to bird hunt, but it didn't happen very often. Uh, maybe once or twice a year, we'd get to go out and chase some roosters on the family farm. Um, but that was kind of, that was kind of my intro to it. Um, flash forward to getting, getting older in my twenties, I decided I wanted to get back into it and, you know, pheasant hunting seemed like the easiest way to start back in. So I started back into pheasant hunting and, you know, just fell in love with it and remembered why it was so important to me as a kid when I was able to go out with my dad and just yeah. kind of kept getting more and more and more into the hunting aspect, uh, transitioned over to, to deer hunting. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with how us Iowans hunt, but our, our gun hunting is a little different here. A lot of times we do, we do a party hunt. Have you ever talked to anybody that party hunts? Uh, I grew up doing, uh, we called them deer drives. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so I did a lot of deer driving for several years. Um, you know, had some good times and some not so good times decided I didn't want to do that anymore and, uh, got into archery hunting about five years ago. I started with the bow and have really enjoyed the, the chance to really get in tune with it and, and see what they're doing. It's, it's one thing I think to shoot a deer that's running by a hundred mile an hour and there's 15 or 20 of them. And you know, they, yeah. they don't care what's going on versus when you're sitting in a tree or you're sitting in a ground blind and, and you're waiting for them to get within 20 or 30 yards of you. And you really start yeah. to learn what they do and how they do it. And I think that that's a pretty cool experience. So. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember a lot of times it was, you were, you learned how to take a, a shot at a deer that was moving pretty fast, pretty fast pace. And, you know, sometimes it was hard to make a good shot in that situation. But the thing about that that I think about is there wasn't enough time to really get nervous or to learn how to process. It was all just kind of quick, you know, quick thinking. With bow hunting, there's sometimes you, you've got a little bit of time to think about it as the deer's walking in or you see them coming and they're getting ready. And so it's it's a completely different ball game, you know. And I think that adrenaline rush, at least for me, always seemed to be bigger with, with uh, using the bow anyway. Oh, for sure. I mean, it starts with the crunch as they're walking in and then you see them and your heart starts to thump. You can feel it in your ears and the closer they get, the more it thumps and it just everything kind of zooms into what you're doing. It, it's intense. It's great. Yeah. Sounds so, cool. So you get yeah. into bow hunting. Yeah. Yep. So I got into bow hunting. Um, I do a little duck hunting, but the bow hunting kind of took priority over that. They tend to run together. Duck hunting and I was not great unless you want to go to the Mississippi and, and kind of fight the crowds there and, and get in the backwaters. But, uh, and then recently got into turkey hunting. So the last couple of years I've been out chasing turkeys. I've yet to shoot a turkey myself. I've helped a few people shoot turkeys, but I'm hoping this spring I can finally get it done for myself this year. So, well, I would, I would, I tell you what, I'll let you come to Ohio. I'm pretty good at turkey hunting. I've gotten good at it over the last couple of years. And then you let me come out there and deer hunt Iowa. Is that a good exchange? <laughs> well, I mean, you filled your tag. If you can get one from Iowa, if you got the change, come on over. I'll put you in some land. Yeah. Nice, man. No, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, turkeys, it's, I tell you what, I was just thinking about that. I don't normally start thinking about turkeys this early, but I'm like, man, I, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I got my wife to go last year and my, my, uh, uh, six-year-old she's almost there but i don't know if she'll be ready to shoot a gun by then or not so uh but yeah always always looking forward to turkey season yeah no super um so no i have two kids too two boys uh, my oldest is yeah. 12 and my youngest is six and um you know my my oldest is super into hunting he's been hunting since he was uh, i think the first time i took him out was three he went and walked his first field at three years old and he's been going every year since then he's been deer hunting since he was five and Finally shot his first deer this year. Shot a nice eight-point buck during new season here in Iowa. So oh, cool. that was Good for exciting him. for him. So, yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, let's let's get into some of your bow hunting stories or any story that you want to tell. But I knew probably would do some bow stories and some other things. But I would love to hear about some of your experiences out there in Iowa and what you've been able to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, if I could, I'd like to actually tell the story about when my son shot that deer this year, just because it was yeah. it was a momentous moment, you know, and it was big for him, and it was obviously pretty big for me to see him be able to make that that change, you know, or, or finally get to do it. And so, if I could, I'll kind of tell that. that story a bit. And so, yeah, do it. Yeah. So we've been, he's been going out since he was young and, you know, at five years old, he'd sit in the ground blind for five or six hours, just waiting for a chance to to shoot a deer. And, you know, each year he'd get closer and closer. And last year he had the opportunity to miss somehow three times uh, a nice, nice eight point buck out in the same area where he got that deer this year. And uh, so we went back out and I sat him down before we left. And I, I said, James, you know, I love you and I'll hunt with you till the, till the end of days. But I need you to show me that you can you can be responsible and you can plan your hunts and that you can do things that you need to on your own because your brother's getting older and, and I'm, I'm going to have to start taking your brother out, you know, as a year behind you are. And he said he understood it. And so I let him pick where he wanted to go. And, you know, we've got a lot of public land around where we live, probably 10 or 15,000 acres between all the spots that we can go to. So he picked a spot and we walked out there and he set himself up and decided he didn't like that spot that he couldn't see very well. We were sitting kind of over a turnip plot out on the public land with an Oak flat to our East. And there's just a little finger of Oaks that we tucked underneath. So he moved about 10 or 15 feet down where he could see a little bit better. He's sitting there. He tells me, he's up. Yep. This is a good spot, dad. This is a good spot. And you know, I'm thinking to myself like, well, it's 10 feet further, but if you could see better, you know, rock on buddy, it's your hunt. (laughs) That's cool. So, So we're sitting in the woods and, then he's like, man, dad, it stinks out here. And I, and I noticed when he was setting up, but it was his hunt. He set up about, I don't know, 10 feet from a gut pile that somebody had left in this little finger. So we're sitting about 10 feet from this rotten gut pile. And I'm like, well, if nothing else, it'll, it'll cover us downwind a little bit, I guess. And maybe it'll, it'll help us. And so we'd been there for about an hour and all of a sudden Jimmy's like, dad, there's a deer. And this is the first time he's ever seen a deer before I saw the deer. And it had come in downwind of us. I don't know if that gut pile helped us or not, but it came in downwind and stepped into the food plot. And it was, it was a nice deer. And, and he was like, should I shoot it? And I'm like, well, yeah, man, I'd shoot that thing. And so he pulls his gun up and he's using my 350 legend, which is, uh, it's probably one of my favorite guns to use for like a gun season hunt, at least here in Iowa. It's pretty accurate and works pretty good. So he pulls it up and gets it in his sights and the thing turns and it's facing right at him and he's waiting and it kind of quarters to and he's waiting and it gives him a broadside shot. And before I even had a chance to tell him that that was the best he was going to get, he pulled that trigger and that deer went down and he just started shaking. I mean, it was the adrenaline in that kid was just amazing. And he was so excited and I was excited and he's like, dad, I think I hit it. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure you did. And it, uh, it ran off into the timber and we sat there for a little while and he kind of calmed down and I was like, well, let's go out and we'll look for blood. It looked like a pretty good shot. And we went out and we're looking for blood and I'm starting to get close to the area. And then I can hear this deer crashing through the timber and my heart kind of sunk a little bit. And I was like, well, maybe it was further back than I thought. And so we stood there for a while, kind of thinking what we were going to do. And it was starting to get dark and it was a Sunday night and I had to work the next day and he had to go to school and. I heard that deer crash a couple more times and I was like, well, we either chase this deer down now or it's going to cross the river because it was heading towards the river. 
I don't know that we'll ever find this thing. So we start working our way into the timber and I hear it crash a couple more times. And that probably helped us find this deer. And we get up on it and he had shot it through both of the shoulders and it would have worked itself towards dying, but it was, it was probably a little further forward than I'd like to see it. And so we put a kill shot into the deer and then it took us two hours to drag that thing out. And, you know, I tried to get him to get the thing and he wouldn't get it. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'll do it for you, I guess this time. But uh, yeah, all he kept asking was, was how we were going to get it processed. He wanted to turn the whole thing into jerky and deer sticks. And I had to have the economics conversation with my son about how much that cost. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I promised him I, I would mount his first deer for him. So he asked if I was really going to do it. And I told him I would. And the next day I dropped it off with the taxidermist. So. Oh, man, that's incredible. There's, yeah, nothing, was, better. There's nothing better than that. It was a pretty memorable moment. You know, it, it meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to me. And, you know, even in all the excitement, he thought that it was a big enough time for him that he picked up that, that shell casing from his first shot and stuffed it in his pocket. And he was going to take it home and make it a necklace because he wanted to remember his first, his first deer kill with his dad out in the woods. And so that was pretty cool. That is, man. I really like, um, Jim, I like how you like let him choose where to go and you let him like, even though you knew that that gut pile was there and it was going to stink, like you let him kind of pick the spot, let him move. I, I think, there's a lesson there on how you kind of teach people to hunt. I, I've, uh, I'm supposed to be taking a guy out. Uh, I think he's like 19, 20, and I've taken him out a few times uh, over the years. And I've hang and hunted with him. We, you know, get up in the tree. I hang a stand for him. I'll get behind him. And I, but I'm always the one picking the spot. I'm always the one hanging the stand. And I told him, I was like, hey, this, this weekend, we're going to spend a little extra time. And you're going to learn how to hang the stand yourself. And I also want you to tell me where you think we ought to hunt. And so I kind of got him a little bit more involved because I'm my tendency sometimes is to do everything for somebody and then they never get a chance to learn it on their own. So I, I think what you just said there, you know, letting your son pick those things, pick the spot and all that. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. You know, I, just like you said, I think it's important that he, he's the master of his hunt. You know, it's not, it's not my hunt. I'm just there to help him and make sure he doesn't get in trouble and, you know, someday he's going to be hunting on his own. And, and my hope is that he can learn from his experiences when he's younger. And then he's not a 25, 30 year old guy that's trying to figure it out on his own out in the woods. You know, hopefully the curve's a little quicker for him. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome, man. Well, congratulations on that. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I've got a duck hunting story. The first time I ever duck hunted, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've ever heard a duck hunting story on your show, but that it there there are some but you have to search pretty hard for them <laughs> mainly mainly because i know nothing about that kind of i've never done it i think it sounds awesome but i've just never uh never got into it but i, I love hearing the stories so tell me it yeah so the first time i ever went duck hunting it was kind of just the it was a fluke i wanted to get a new pheasant gun and wanted a semi-auto i'd been hunting with a pump pump pretty much my whole life and so I went out and I bought the Stoger M3500 semi-auto. It was probably the best gun that I could buy for the money that I had at the time. I was still pretty young. And so I buy this thing and it's chambered in three and a half inch. And I'm like, well, what am I going to shoot that I need three and a half inch shells for? You know, like I'm not going after elephants here and three inch <laughs> slug will do plenty. And yeah. I decide duck hunting. I'm like, well, a lot of guys use three and a half to duck hunt. Maybe I'll get some stuff and duck hunt. So I get on Craigslist. And I meet this guy in the Walmart parking lot and magically buy myself and my father-in-law a pair of used waders that fit us both. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> and a, a dozen used decoys. And, you know, I get my steel shot and 
I go scouting and I find the spot that's got a bunch of teal on it and it's, it's early in the season. And so I tell my father-in-law, I say, Hey, I got this spot. It's a great spot. And I said, it's a little bit of a walk, which anytime Jim Nelson tells you it's a bit of a walk, it's a scary situation because it's going to be miles. <laughs> so, so we meet up at like four o'clock in the morning and we walk out to this place and it's called goose pond. And the day before I'd probably seen a couple hundred teal sitting on this thing. I mean, it was just teal everywhere. We get out there, we're the first ones in the parking lot, and we walk all the way around this pond. I mean, it's the longest way that you could go to get where I was, but that's where I wanted to get. And we waded through a couple of creeks and we get set up and we get the decoys out in the water and we don't really know what we're doing. So, I mean, just imagine a scatter of decoys floating in the water, but we're duck cutting, right? And uh, as the sun gets closer to coming up, all of a sudden we see a set of headlamps come walking down the other side of the pond. And so I start flashing my light at him because he's going to set up right across from me. And it's a pretty small pond, about five acres or so. And he just flashes his light back and sets up right there, right across from me. And then oh. here comes another set of headlights. And he stops and you can hear those two arguing. He goes about 10 yards further and he sets up. Next thing oh. you know, there's like six groups of people set up on this pond. And I'm like, oh my God, how is this going to work? Like, you know, but I'm committed. I'm here, you know, we'll see what happens. And the wood ducks start flying through and, and I, I don't know what I'm looking at for ducks. And so I, I don't necessarily want to shoot these things because you can only shoot two of them a day in the state of Iowa. And, you know, you shoot two of them and then you might as well go home because you, you, you can't, you don't want to take a chance. And so yeah. a couple of guys start shooting and then in comes this flock of teal and it flies by catches my father-in-law and I off guard, flies by us and just does this big circle. On the second circle by, we shoot. They keep flying. The guy next to us shoots. They keep flying across the way, start shooting. And it was just this Gatling gun as these teal just kept flying around in circles and these groups keep shooting at them and they don't know where to go. And then the steel shot starts like raining down on you. Like everybody's shooting in the sky, but you're not that far away. And so you shoot and then you look down and it's just like, as it's like, falling through the tree branches on top of you, you know, but it was the most intense hunting and shooting. It only lasted 10 minutes probably before those teals said, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with this place. Uh, I think we only shot three or four ducks out of the, all the times that we shot at those things, but the, the action of shooting at those things was just so awesome. And that's probably why I don't duck hunt anymore. Cause I've never had an experience quite like that since. Uh, oh, but that was my first time duck hunting and I was hooked. I mean, I think, that year I finished in my waders and the next year I went and my wife about killed me. I showed up at home with a duck boat, went and bought a duck boat with the blind <laughs> on it because I was ready to go. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, that sounds awesome. It's the equivalent of somebody going out like a kid on their first hunt and they shoot, you know, like a 160 inch buck and all, they're like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. And then you're always trying to get back to that experience. And it's, uh, it's, that sounds like an amazing first duck hunt. I would, that you, if that's what it was, I, I you signed me up. I'd do that all day. <laughs> yep. It was, it was a good time. And you know, the kicker of the whole thing was once we, once we got back to the parking lot, we were talking with a couple of the guys that were still, they were just getting ready to leave and we made our way out and they asked us what way we went and we told them and they were like, man, you could have just walked across this thing. It's only four feet deep or three feet deep at the deepest. And, I bet we went on a mile and a half walk to get around the thing and could have probably cut half of that if we'd have just waded through the water. Uh, that's funny. Oh man, that's that's. I'm glad you shared that story. That's cool. It makes me. I it's something I want to try someday. My my wife's cousin got into it, and he's going on some trips. I think to like South Dakota or North Dakota, someplace, and gotten into gotten their limit. Just made some amazing duck hunting, and I think that's part of it. Is I never growing up, 
I knew one guy in our hunting party. Um, he would duck hunt, but in Southeast Ohio, I just, I haven't, I haven't ran into a lot of duck hunters. I'm sure there are some, but it's just, uh, you almost kind of need somebody to show you the ropes a little bit. So you know what you're doing, know how to identify the right bird, you know, so that you're not, that's always been my fear. Like, I don't know if something flying over, you know, if I could make that call in that moment to make sure I'm shooting the right thing. So, but, uh, yep. that's a pretty neat experience. Yeah, for sure. No, it was great. Um, so I guess I could tell my tree stand story, I suppose would be the next one. I don't know if you want me to go into that now, or if you want to hear a different yeah. story about something else, but yeah, let's, uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And then maybe one, uh, another story on some, just, uh, uh, one of your white tails or bow hunting or something along those lines. Be good. Yep. No, that sounds good. So this Sunday I, uh, I got off work Sunday morning and decided I was going to go take the boys out, go do a little pheasant hunting. So we pheasant hunted some private land and I was going to spend the afternoon uh, deer hunting, try to get out in the tree and see what I could get in for an evening hunt. And went out to an area that I, I've hunted in the past, but it's been a long time since I've been out there. And, and this year I started hunting out of a tree saddle. And so I was a lot more mobile. I could hunt wherever I wanted to basically. So I decided I was going to go check that spot out. And I checked in with my buddy and uh, kind of got the report on what they've been seeing out there. And if the crops were out, it's uh, a big chunk of public land around a big lake and there's quite a bit of ag in it. And he said the, the crops were out of the spot that I really wanted to get to by some, some good doe bedding. And it was a bean field this year with a timber edge that runs through and then some, some oak flats throughout and seemed like a pretty good place to go try to catch one cruising uh, with the wind. And so I told my wife where I was going, I said, I'm going to be out at Palo and Tim knows the area that I'll be in. And I should be in the tree about three, three thirty or so. And I'll send you a text and off I went and get out to the spot and change my clothes and get all my stuff on and start walking out and looking for a good tree to get in. And I walked by this tree and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. So I kept walking and I came back and I was like, this is the one, this is the best tree that I could get in. And you know, everything else is pretty blown down about two or three years ago. We had a big windstorm come through the area, a big great show. And it just flatlined a lot of our timber and it makes it kind of hard to find a good spot to get up anymore. But so I start climbing this tree and I, I always hang my first two sticks from the ground and then I climb up on my sticks and I've got my lineman's belt on hooked up to my saddle and my bows on the ground with my pull cord and my backpacks on my back and away we go. And so I hang my two sticks and get up and I hang my third stick. I climb up on my third stick and then I'm just getting done hanging my fourth stick and I kind of reposition my lineman's belt and get up to the top of my third stick and I'm ready to make that switch. And I don't know if I side loaded that step or, or what happened, but after a couple of minutes of standing on that thing, it decided to give out on me and, and I started to fall down the tree. I, I'm not going to say I fell out of it because I was tied to it, but I definitely fell down at a couple of feet and, and I landed, you know, somewhere probably 12 or 13 feet after this point, um, sitting on a stick, kind of right on the edge of my hip and the socket of my hip. And I kind of rubbed my tree, my elbow or my armpit on the tree on the way down. And so my armpit was kind of on fire and my hip hurt a little bit, but I was all right. You know, it was, it wasn't so bad. And I, it's just time to figure out how to get down from this tree. And, and then I'm going home, you know, I'm, I'm done for the day. I don't want to play. I don't want to play today. Yeah. And so I tried to get my foot hooked onto my step and the sticks that I use, they only have one step per level and they switch side to side. Yep. And it was, on, it was on the wrong side of the stick. I couldn't get my foot hooked on it, but I managed to get my toe hooked under it so that I could switch it to the other side. So I tried to stand up on my right leg and it hurt too bad. I couldn't get up on my right leg. 
And so I got onto my left leg and I stood up and, you know, it hurt, but I was able to get upright and I kind of got some of the pressure off of my groin from hanging from my saddle and was just getting ready to try to turn around because I was kind of quartered away from the tree. I had somehow shifted and the tree was kind of along my side or slightly almost to my back at this point. And as I started to turn, that stick fell out from underneath me and I fell another probably foot or two before my belt caught. And this time I was upside down. Oh no! And I, uh, I am not a small guy. I'm about 275 pounds and I've got a bit of a, a beer belly drinking belly, <laughs> but somehow I managed to do an inverted sit up and I get myself upright. And, uh, so I'm hanging on to this tree and now I'm thinking I'm in trouble. You know, this is not a good situation. I'm kind of just hanging up here. I don't know how I'm going to get down. And so I pull my phone out of my left breast pocket. I always keep my phone uh, up top somewhere away from my harness strap so that if I ever needed to, I could get to it. You know, if it was in my pants pocket or something, I didn't know I'd be able to get it out. And I get my phone out and I called 911. Uh, cause you know, at this point I'm thinking I can still maybe get myself out of this tree, but you know, it's hairy enough that maybe I want somebody on the way in case it doesn't work out. Yeah. And so 911 answers and I start to try to tell them where I am. And I don't know what happened if the bark was loose or, but I slipped and I didn't fall too far, maybe another six inches or a foot. And, but the worst part was, is I dropped my phone uh, all the way down on the ground. And oh, so time number two, I'm hanging upside down in this tree and I'm pretty winded from getting upright the first time. Uh, somehow I get myself pulled back up and, and I just bear hug onto this tree and I've got both my arms wrapped around it and my legs wrapped around it as hard as I can. And it's, it's panic time now. It's, this is not good. Um, my body was shaken, you know, from the, the exertion of pulling myself upright. And I'm sure the adrenaline of, of the situation that I was in and I kind of collected my thoughts for a second. And then, you know, I realized that they didn't know where I was. Um, they knew an area, I'm sure, you know, for those who don't know, 911 will kind of ping your phone off of cell phone towers and they get a general location of, of where you're at if you still have service. Yeah. And so I started to yell. I thought, well, if my phone's still connected and I yell calmly enough and loud enough, maybe the operator can hear me. I won't hear her, but maybe she can hear me. And so I start yelling that I'm where I am, the name of the property that I'm on, and that I was on the north side of the lake and described my pickup and you know, my license plates and the a sticker that I have on the back window of my truck that's pretty identifiable. And then that I'm about 300 yards northeast of my pickup in the timber line. I just over and over and over keep yelling this. And I know that it's probably 25 minutes before anybody gets there, you know, from the time that they dispatch them out. Yeah. And uh, the last time that I told them where I was, I was getting pretty tired. And I told them if they could hear me, I was having a hard time holding on and I was going to fall down. And I thought I was going to die in that tree. Oh, and and not uh, not long after that, my arms gave out and I couldn't hold on anymore. And so for the third time, I was upside down in this tree and I could feel the blood kind of rushing to my head and my eyes were kind of bulging a bit and it was getting harder and harder to breathe. And I already told you, I'm not a small guy, right? And so when you got a, a big belly on you hanging down on your diaphragm, that's not helping you any. And uh, the saddle that I wore has like a full body harness built into it so that you could wear it in a regular tree stand if you wanted to. And so those shoulder straps, I felt like they were just like digging into my chest. And it's like every time I'd let a breath out, I'd only get about two thirds of a breath back in. And I'd been struggling for a couple minutes trying to get upright. And 
and I just, I couldn't do it. And, you know, I, I decided that that was it. And I was going to die in this tree. At the very least, I was going to be unconscious before anybody got there. I decided to tell my wife and kids that I loved them, you know, and I, I just, I told them I was sorry, you know, just started talking out loud to them and, and said that I'd be looking out for them and just kind of accepted my fate. You know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to get out of it. And I, I just decided it was time to relax and and either that was going to loosen things and I'd be able to breathe better or things would get tighter and, and maybe it'd make it faster and it wouldn't hurt so bad. And so my body goes limp and I just let my arms dangle. And then on the tips of my fingers, I could feel foliage. And I was like, well, Hey, if I, if I could feel foliage, I'm, I'm not that far off the ground at this point. You know, I, I was pretty close to the ground. I said, you can't, you can't die this close to the ground. You, you can't let your kids know you quit this close. So I started reaching for my backpack. I always keep my knife clipped on the side of my backpack and I managed to get to my knife and I pulled it out and I just started cutting straps on my harness. Just anything I could get my hands on, I cut and I couldn't really see what I was doing. I was having, my vision was pretty blurry at this point and probably been upside down five or six minutes. And I just started hacking away. And each time I'd cut a strap, I'd drop just a little bit further and a little bit further. I finally got to the point where I felt like if I could just get my shoulder straps loose that I could shimmy myself out of this thing maybe. And so I, I started cutting my shoulder straps and I found my chest buckle and I unbuckled my chest buckle and managed to do the the silly salmon and just kind of shake my body and, and down on the ground. I went, I fell a couple of feet and landed on my back. And, you know, at that point I knew that I wasn't in a good situation, but at least I knew that I probably wasn't going to die at least before somebody got there. So kind of relaxed for a second and then remembered my phone rolled over to my right side and it hurt too bad. I couldn't get up on the right side. And so then I rolled over onto my left side and I saw my phone about three feet away on the other side of the tree. And I kind of bear crawled my way over and got a hold of my phone and started talking and couldn't hear anybody. So I hung up and called 911 back and they knew roughly where I was, but not exactly. And they didn't have any idea what was going on. Come to find out my phone had pinged in the middle of that field and they thought maybe it was an agricultural accident. Uh Um, and so the fire department got there and, and they, they carried me out and loaded me into their, their grass truck and hauled me to the road and the ambulance took me to the hospital. And, you know, all of that and all of all of that whole situation. And I, I managed to walk away with a new outlook on life, of course. But uh, all I had was some bruising. My whole right groin and hip and butt are pretty black and blue, you know, about four or five inches wide all the way around and a pretty big bruise in my armpit and I burst a few blood vessels in my eyelids, but that, that was the worst of it. Everything else checked out. Okay. And so I was, I was grateful, you know, that, that I, I didn't give up and that, that I was able to get out of that thing. But. And Jim, what a story I'll tell you. Um, I think there's when saddles really kind of came back, um, 2017, 2018, you know, guys really started getting into it. That's whenever I got into it, there was just kind of, there was a lot, almost like a cockiness of how safe it was. You're tethered from the ground up. You're, you're safe. You're good to go. And I'm not sure if you heard the story, but there was actually a guy earlier this year that similar situation and he did not fare as well as you, unfortunately, he passed away upside down. They don't know exactly what happened. And just, uh, you know, we always think that we're safe no matter what, you know, we're tethered in, we're doing the right thing, but you just never know how those things can play out. So very fortunate. I'm really glad that, that, um, you walked away from that and able to make it another day. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I just, I want to say 
you know, I don't blame my saddle for what happened. I don't blame my sticks, you know, and I don't blame myself. I think it was just a freak accident, you know, that, that, that step kicked, step kicked out. And, you know, if I've been wearing years before, you know, I've always hunted with a, just a regular muddy harness and, and climbed and used my lineman's belt with my harness till I got to my tree and tied off. And, you know, it, it was just that, that where you connect with the lineman's belt is how I wound up upside down. And so it's just, it could happen to anybody, no matter what you're wearing, you know, and yeah. I just hope that somebody can, can kind of hear the stories and, and read through things like that and think, you know, Hey, maybe I will keep my phone in my chest pocket so I can get to it. Or, you know, maybe I will clip my knife somewhere that I can get to it in case I need to and, and kind of yeah. learn from that. So the next person can be as lucky, if not luckier than I was. Wow. Yeah, no, I think that is such great advice. In fact, ever since I heard about that guy in the situation, um, I, I used to put my cell phone in my pocket and I realized I couldn't ever really get to it in my, right on my, uh, you know, normal pant pocket, but I keep mine down in my left. Uh, there's that little pouch down there on first light pants where it's down your leg a little bit more. And so I keep it there cause it's easy access. And then I've also thought, well, what happens if I get stuck in that situation? Do I have a knife? So I keep a knife in the other side. Uh, that I can get to. And and so I think just preparing for the worst, I think that's a, it's very fortunate that you had that knife where you had it and um, was able to call and those kind of things. That's, that's huge. So I'd, I'd encourage guys. I, I think the biggest thing that we can do is get a little too confident in our setup and we always just need to be prepared. I think that's the biggest thing I hear from, from your store is being prepared and doing everything that you can to try and help yourself in that situation. Yep. For sure. For sure. Wow. Well, Jim, that's a heavy story. Um, and I'm, I mean, that's recent. So what's, uh, I want to hear a, a hunting story. We'll wrap up with that, but I just kind of want to hear like your kind of takeaway as far as going back again, getting into the woods. Is it something that you're nervous about or thinking about differently, how you're going to do things? Does this change anything as far as hunting? Does this change anything as far as your life goes? Oh, for sure. For sure. It changes a lot. You know, I mean, uh, I, I'll never quit hunting, you know, and my wife knows that and she would never even dream of telling me that I need to stop or, or change how I do it. But, um, the day that I, when I got out of the hospital, I called my, my buddy from the gun shop that I buy all my stuff from and said, Hey, I'm going to need a ground blind so I can finish this year out. So I, I've got a ground blind sitting in the back room with this gun shop that I shop at. And I'm going to go pick that up this afternoon. I'm going to spend the rest of the year from the ground, uh, just cause I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think I'm going to do the run and gun anymore. And so I need to take some time to start buying more sticks and, and stands to hang in different places. Um, so I'll finish this year on the ground. And then next year, I'm going to have to get back into how I used to do it, which I got out of because people like to take stuff off the public land. And so I lost a lot of tree stands that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll, I'll start pre-hanging my sets with a, a friend so that I've always got somebody with me when I'm climbing with my belt. And uh I'll be, I'll be running lifelines and overhead tie offs so that at least I don't wind up upside down again. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and likely, you know, not knowing if they knew where I was, was a big scare to me. And so I my at least my common places where I hunt, I'm going to print off satellite photos and kind of mark where my truck is and, and the area that I plan on going so that if something ever happens and they have to come find me, they, they've got an idea of where to start looking at least. That's, that's smart. I, I always try and tell my wife, where I'm going and I tell her the name of the stand, the name of the spot. And if she doesn't know exactly where that's at, she knows my buddy Trav or a couple other people do uh, have it marked on Onyx. The other thing, I think I might be getting this for Christmas. I don't know that for sure, but if I don't get it for Christmas, I'm probably going to invest in it as a Garmin inReach mini. 
Yep. Um, I always, I always borrow one whenever I go out West to hunt. Um, and I always have it clipped on my chest and all that, that, that way. Cause you're out there, you don't have any service at all. And you need that satellite communication. You just flip a switch, push a button, and it sends that those coordinates to, to emergency responders nearby. But I thought, you know, there's several places that I hunt in Southeast Ohio where I, I could definitely be without service. You know, that can happen a lot. And so, you know, not being able to call 911, that's, that's an even scarier thought. Yep, for sure. And, and that thought has crossed my mind. Uh, I definitely want to do some research into those and see what, what options are out there, you know, so that if I can't get to my phone or if I don't have service, how do I communicate to somebody that I need help? And yeah, for sure. So lots of changes, but I ain't going to quit. That's for sure. If, if I right. thought I could draw my bow, I'd probably be out today. <laughs> well i hope you have a good time on your pheasant hunt i know that'll be fun with buddies and uh just seems like god was watching over you i'm, I'm glad that that turned out uh, some lessons learned i hope some guys will take that take some things in there but let's let's end on a positive note let's wrap this up with um another story you talked about being in bow hunting over the last few years here so you got a, a good bow hunting story for us well i unfortunately i don't i have yet to shoot a deer with my bow Okay. Um, so I've got some close encounters and, and some close ones where I thought about shooting and decided not, but, um, I do have, I guess I could tell my first deer story. Um, okay. yeah, it's, it's a little comical. And so okay. I was, I was just getting into deer hunting and I shotgun hunted a few times with some friends and, you know, thought it was a good time, but I wanted to try to do it on my own. I'm kind of an independent guy and, you know, I want, I want to know that if I'm successful, it was because I'm successful so I decided to hunt early season muzzleloader in, in Iowa, which is middle of October time frame is when this usually opens. And so I go and I buy myself a muzzleloader and uh, I go out to some public land. And at this point, all I knew about hunting was stay away from people. And so there's a, a large reservoir in my area that has a bunch of Corps of Engineer land that they flood every year to, to control the river for the Iowa River. And that's all public hunting land. And so I'm like, well, it's a great place. I can get out here and I'm just going to walk until I find a good spot. And so I, I bet I was two, two and a half miles back into this area and this river bottom. And I find this good tree and there's deer trails everywhere. And I'm like, oh, this is it. So I climb up into this tree. And at this point I was, I was young and fearless. And so I don't have a, a harness on. Fortunately, I didn't fall out of the tree. And I'm kind of sitting in this blown over tree and I hear the fateful crunch of steps behind me. And I'm like, oh man, there's a deer. And it comes up to the tree and it still had green leaves on it. And this deer is sitting right behind me, eating leaves out of this tree or eating the bark off the tree, eating something out of this tree. And it comes around and at five yards, this deer comes along and I couldn't contain myself anymore. And somehow I managed to get my, my muzzle loader up without this deer seeing it and pulled the hammer back and just dumped this big old doe. Or at least at that point, I thought it was a big old doe. It was, it was the biggest deer I'd ever shot. That's for sure. And so I dumped this big doe, I dumped this big doe and, uh, I get out there and I realize I don't know how to gut this deer. I, I've never <laughs> gutted a deer before. And so, so I'm sitting out in the woods and I just start hacking away with my knife and it wasn't the prettiest job, but I managed to get it done. And all I had was one of those little like cheap, you buy them from Walmart, like little harness with the rope on it, you know? Yeah. So I wrap my rope around this deer with my deer drag and I start dragging this deer out of the woods and I realize why nobody goes that far because <laughs> it was the most miserable drag I'd ever had. And so I call my brother-in-law who's not a hunter, but he's a pretty good guy and he always wants to help. And I'm like, Hey man, 
I'm out here off this gravel road and I'm way out in the woods. I got this deer out here. Will you help me? He's like, yeah, sure. So he comes out and he figures out where I am and he walks back there and he shows up in pajama pants and slippers. (laughs) I'm like, Wes, what are you doing, bud? He's like, well, I'm just going to drag this deer out of here. And I'm like, oh my God. And so we get the thing drugged back to the truck and we get it in the truck. And, you know, I just realized that I was, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, like there's no way, I don't know how people figured this out on their own, you know? And so I had to kind of take a step back and, and realize that, you know, though I want to do it on my own, I probably better spend some more time with some of my buddies that do the shotgun thing and uh, at least learn how to gut a deer at the very least. And, uh, <laughs> And, and how to get it out of the woods. And so I guess that's kind of the story of my first deer. Oh, that's awesome, man. I mean, trial, trial by error, figuring it out as you go. And I, I love that. That's awesome. I think what's neat uh, and you're similar to me is it's, it's nice to have people teach you things, but sometimes you just kind of want to go out and figure it out on your own. And it's, you get some better stories that way anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a lot more interesting. That's for sure. Oh, uh, that's cool. Well, great, Jim. Well, I, I really enjoyed the stories. I enjoyed, I uh, appreciate you sharing that one uh, experience there with the, the near-death experience and um, I wish you good luck this season and what you got left. So you got your blind, I'm going to be hunting out of the blind, pheasant hunt this weekend. So it sounds like you still have some fun hunts hopefully ahead of you. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've got gun season coming yet. And so plenty of opportunities and I can all, always hunt till January with the bow. So we're well, going to make great. it happen this year is my hope. Awesome, man. That'd be great. Well, if you do, please let me know. I'd love to hear the follow up to that. Love to hear about uh, if you get one with your bow and uh, good luck to you, man. Appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me. Wow. What a story. (laughs) What a story. I mean, a lot of great stories there, but definitely a gut wrenching, jaw dropping story about Jim and uh, the accident that he had about a week ago. And so, Jim, we're glad that you're okay. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to challenge guys on this this show, if you're listening, what's the next step in safety for you? How can you take it to that next level? Uh, if you're a saddle hunter or any type of hunter, do you have a knife accessible so you can cut yourself loose? Do you have a communication? Do people know where you're going? Um, make sure you take those steps. Uh, make sure you, you add those things in there. Um, I'm grateful that Jim did some of those things and it worked out in his favor. Some people will look at Jim and be like, here's a lucky guy. Man, he was lucky. I don't look at it that way. I, I think God, for some reason, wanted to keep Jim alive, and maybe it's so that he could tell that story so it would pass on to other people. I don't know. I don't know the reason. We don't know all those reasons, but uh, Jim's a, a husband and a father, and he's able to go back home to his family, and that's so important, so incredible, uh, so incredibly important. And um, You know, I, I think about a verse that uh, popped in my head as, as he was talking about being stuck upside down. These cords that are supposed to save him, he is now hanging from, and it may cost him his life. And I think about what David writes in Psalm 18. David's on the run from Saul, and he's trying to escape, and he talks about how God is his deliverer, his shield, in the first three verses. And then verse four, he really explains where, where he's at. He said, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol Sheol's like death, and entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. David's talking about this situation where he was tangled up. <laughs> not, not by a lineman's belt, but, but a situation in life that nearly killed him. A situation that, um, where he was just trapped. And, and I think maybe we've all experienced that in different ways in our lives. Maybe not a near-death experience, but moments where we're like, man, 
I've got to have the Lord's help here. Um, I've got to have prayer. I've got to have something. And God is our deliverer. He brings us through those moments. I think about the moments that I've experienced, losing my daughter, my dad, um, all these different things I've had to experience in my life. I look back and I realize it was God carrying me through that. But even on a deeper level than that, the Bible talks about let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. <laughs> let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Sin entangles us. Each and every single person is hanging upside down from their boots by sin. Sin's got us. Um, we've all slipped and fallen short of the glory of God, and we're hanging upside down. And, and the problem is there's absolutely nothing that we can do to free ourselves. We don't have a knife. We don't have anything that we can do. We are we're stuck. And we need a first responder to come and free us from this, this situation. And God is our deliverer. Uh, God sent his son, Jesus. I asked um, Jim after this was all over, I sent him a text, said, I'm just curious, are you a Christian? You know, and he said, absolutely. And um, I was glad to hear that because I, I believe we all have a sin problem that entangles us. God sets us free, but he does that through Jesus and our belief in Jesus, being baptized into his name. That's how we get cut free from the sin and we get freed from that and we can stand on solid ground um, and be safe. So I'm going to ask you that question. I know this is kind of a heavy episode, so I'm going to end with a heavy question. Are you cut free? (laughs) Are you uh, still hanging upside down? Um, And if you have any questions about that, I I would love to have more of a conversation with you rather than just preach at you. Um, If you'd love to talk about that, if you have questions about that or would want to talk about that, send me an email, sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Send me a private message. I'm not going to yell at you or preach at you or anything like that. I just love to have a conversation about what does it look like to be cut free from sin and be sure that you're standing on solid ground. Guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode and hope that you will come back again for another one next week. Always looking for guests, so send me an email at sheddinglightod at gmail.com if you would like to come on and share your story. Um, and until next time, remember to shed the light. <laughs>